I have good news. Even in the midst of all your brokenness, God is greater than your brokenness. And you got to understand that don't allow your brokenness to define you. Only Jesus Christ can define you. You have made, maybe you made those mistakes. Maybe you have the shame and the guilt and regret, but don't allow those things to define you. You are not your brokenness. You are a son and daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That is who you are. Think about some of the biblical characters of our day. Think of a guy by the name of Abraham who's considered our forefather of our faith. Abraham couldn't have a child, so he decided to actually give his wife up to allow, actually, what he did with his wife, Sarah, is he went there and said, hey, Sarah, pretend like you're my sister, right? How awful is that? And things happened that way. His wife, Sarah, said, hey, we're, we're childless, sleep with my servant so we can have a child. And God still used this couple in a mighty way for our faith today. But God, God did not allow that brokenness and that dysfunction to define them. There was bigger things. Think of a guy by the name of Noah. Noah and the ark. It was so evil. That culture was so evil during that time. God looked out and said, Noah is the only righteous man alive. But you know what Noah did? Got drunk and got naked. That's messed up. But God still chose him and his family after he floods the earth to save an entire race and says, but you are righteous, Noah. God did not allow that to define who Noah was. It continues on. Think about Jacob. In week one of our identity series, we kind of looked at the story of Jacob and understood that Jacob actually wrestled with God. And in fact, Jacob means deceiver, that there are moments where Jacob literally deceived his entire life. He was, lived in deception, but God still chose him. And through Jacob, God changed his name to Israel and started the 12 tribes of Israel through that guy right there, even though his entire life was all about deceiving people. Think about his first son, Reuben. Reuben actually slept with his father's concubine. That's messed up. But God didn't allow Reuben to stop there. You know what Reuben did? Reuben had 12 or uh, 11 other brothers, and it was Reuben that was the oldest brother that when his brothers wanted to kill a guy by the name of Joseph, their younger brother, Joseph in that awesome coat that he got, it was Reuben that stood up and says, no, maybe we ought to sell him and not actually kill little brother. But God used him, even in the midst of tricking and sleeping with his dad's concubine. Think of a guy by the name of Moses. Moses is known for delivering the Israelites out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Oppression for 400 years, generation after generation. But you know Moses? Moses was a murderer. He murdered an Egyptian and then hid the body in the sand. And he went and fled in the wilderness for 40 years. But God still spoke to him and says, Moses, even with your stuttering, even I know what you did, I know you were a murderer, I still have a plan for you. And he became the deliverer of the Israelites out of Egypt. Think about the greatest king in all of Israel's history, a guy by the name of David. You know what was awesome and special about this king? David was known as, as a man after God's own heart. How many of you men can actually, wouldn't that be awesome to have on your tombstone? A man after God's heart. You know what David did? David had an affair. And then to cover up his affair, 
He had the wife's husband go out on the front lines in the army and got killed to cover it all up. Yet God still looked at David and said, you're a man after my heart. And he became the greatest king of all of Israel's history. In fact, David had a son, Solomon. He got a little cray-cray at the end of his life. Solomon had 700 wives. Woo! 300 concubines. Woo! Like, that's crazy. But you know what God used in the midst of Solomon? Solomon got to build the temple in Jerusalem so, so the Israelites could worship in Jerusalem. God used him, though. Even in the midst that all those women, 700 wives, some of his women uh, got, led him astray and down some pagan worship. And that was the problem with Solomon. But God still used Solomon in the midst of his brokenness and dysfunction. Think of a woman by the name of Tamar. Tamar is actually in Jesus' genealogy. As a Jew, you never mention women in genealogies. There's importance here. Tamar dressed up as a prostitute and slept with her father-in-law. And God still used her in a mighty way that her name is listed in the genealogy of Jesus. There is room for broken people in the family of God. Amen, church? We're not perfect. We don't claim to be perfect. But every day we're, we're, we're waking up saying, God, make me more like you. Make me more like your son, Jesus Christ. Think of Rahab. Rahab is a prostitute in a pagan nation that God uses to help with the spies as they're moving in to conquer the land of Canaan or present-day Israel. And God used that in that moment. Guess what? Rahab also makes the genealogy of Jesus. So you have two women that you never put women in a genealogy back in the day. And you have Tamar, who's dressing up as a prostitute to sleep with her father-in-law. And you have Rahab, who is a prostitute, all in the genealogy of Jesus. Your brokenness will never define you. Only Jesus Christ can define you. It's not done. Think of Peter. Oh, Peter. He's the leader of the 12 disciples. He's probably the oldest. We know Peter at least has a wife because we're told that his mother-in-law gets sick. So we know Peter at one point has a wife. He's the oldest of the 12 guys that Jesus handpicked to follow him for three years of his ministry. And Peter, as being the oldest and the leader of the 12 guys, when Jesus is actually on trial, Jesus, before being on trial, Jesus says, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. Jesus is on trial, and they're whipping him and beating him, and all of a sudden, Peter's sitting there going, I don't know Jesus, and they're like, yeah, we know you. You were with him. You've got that Galilean accent. We know you were from that region with Jesus, and he's like, I don't know him. Three times, Peter says, I don't know Jesus. And probably the most touching of all the Gospels, it says, Jesus' eyes lock in with Peter's. And Peter saw the eyes of Jesus, and I'm, I'm wondering if he saw some shame and disappointment or something, and he goes out of the city weeping bitterly for what he did. But God still uses him. God then takes after he, Jesus after he's died and resurrected and comes back for 40 days on earth Jesus meets Peter on the, uh, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee and reinstates Peter, says, Peter, you're going to build my church. You got to go. We got to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't done with Peter. And in fact, think about this guy, a guy by the name of Paul. You were introduced to Paul as Saul in the first book of the part of Acts. 
Do you know this guy wrote two-thirds of your New Testament? You know what also this guy used to do? He called himself the Pharisee of all Pharisees, the religious of all the religious. And he went around persecuting Christians, papers in hand to jail followers of Jesus. In fact, it was there where he also sat and vote for the execution and the murdering of Christians. And God got a hold of his heart, completely changed him, changed his name from Saul to Paul, and he became the greatest first century missionary that we have ever seen. He went around all of present-day Turkey and Asia Minor and Greece and planted churches all over the place. And God still used him. God still used this group of biblical heroes, fathers of our faith, and still used them in their brokenness. And I just need to tell you here this morning, your brokenness isn't your identity, it's his message. We've all made mistakes, but that is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. He came to redeem everything that was lost and make it found. Everything that's broken, he brings to wholeness now. And your brokenness isn't your identity. It's his message. And there is power to our stories of how God works in us and through us. And there is only one way that this actually happens. It's because Jesus Christ brings new life. He brings new life. And we get to celebrate that this morning. We get to celebrate over 30 people saying, I am a follower of Jesus. Jesus has changed me from the inside out. In fact, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth that he actually started. And this is what he reminds those Christians in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, this means anyone who belongs to Christ, when you've accepted Jesus into your life, that you are a follower of him, has become a new person. The old life is gone, the new has come. Because Jesus brings new life. If you've never put these things together, over here, we have a cross that's lit up with the words Jesus. That is, in a sense, our reminder that everything is about Jesus Christ. That's our, what I would call our salvation corner, that we want everyone to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But it starts at surrendering at the cross and what Jesus did for you. And then you go over here, and we have this wall that's lit up. It says made new. Why would it ever say made new? Right here. The old is gone, the new has come. You're made new in Jesus Christ, friends. You are made new. There are over 200 names on that wall since 2016 that we have baptized at this church. It is awesome, absolutely incredible. And where it's not done, God's still moving. And so if you ever wondered, we have a salvation and baptism. It's people taking next steps in their walk with Jesus Christ. My heart and prayer for all of us is what Paul writes to the church in Philippi in Philippians, uh, right here, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. It says this, I want to know Christ. You know, this word know is, it means not just head knowledge, but it's a heart knowledge. It's a deep intimacy with Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I want to know Christ. And watch this, experience the mighty power that raised him from the grave. I feel as many followers of Jesus, we love Jesus as our Savior. We're rescued from our sins. We're, we're, we got our ticket out of hell. I'm just curious how many Christians have actually made him Lord. Lord. 
You got to have Jesus as your Savior, but you got to have Jesus as your Lord. That means you submit and surrender to his will. It no longer becomes about us. It becomes about him. And I want you to experience this mighty power that's available. I love what Paul also writes to the region of Galatia. There's tons of churches in this region, and he passes this letter on. He says, for all of you who were baptized into Christ, have accepted to follow Jesus, Christ, watch, has clothed you yourself with Christ. In other words, that when God looks at you, he doesn't see the mistakes and the regret and the shame and the guilt that you may see. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus, his son. And you are clothed every morning. It's like you put on your clothes and you put them on and you realize, I am clothed with Christ. You can wake up every morning, sit there and go, I am clothed in love. To feel love for the first time when you follow Jesus, Jesus says, I give you that garment of love. I give you the garment of value. You are not worthless and just thrown to the side. You're not just rejected. I value you so much as a son and as a daughter of the high king. You put on the clothes of grace. How many of you know, man, you are thankful for God that gives you second and third and fourth and fifth chances? Some of you, you're on your 210th chance, right? You're like, I definitely wear that clothing. That's starting to get a little holes, all right? But you're clothed in grace. That God showers. There's nothing you can do to earn it. He showers it on you. You're clothed in freedom. Those chains that you think are holding you back, listen, in the name of Jesus, you're free from them. Not only are you clothed in freedom, you're clothed in victory now. Oh, church, if you walk in victory, whoo, I'm telling you, you're going to be a new person. Be clothed in victory. Not only are you clothed in victory, you're clothed in forgiveness now. Everything you've ever done in life, God has forgiven. Isn't it interesting that God doesn't remove our memories? We may know the mistakes and the sin, but God says, listen, you are forgiven as far as east is from the west. God says, what do you mean, what have you done? When I see you, I see my son, Jesus Christ. And what the beauty of it is, your clothes spotless. The Bible says God has washed your sins as white as snow, as white as that beautiful snow. Come on now, that's falling outside. It's beautiful. He says you are as spotless as that. Even though you look in the mirror and you see spots of shame and guilt and regret and failure, God says you are spotless in my eyes. You are chosen, you are clothed, chosen. That God says you are my chosen child. God says you are marked as you follow Jesus. Ephesians chapter one says you are marked with the presence of God, the Holy Spirit in your life. That is who you are now. And you are priceless to him. You are absolutely priceless. I love this verse about our identity. Is this, we're going to wrap up this identity series, I think, next week. Imagine if we actually walked in this identity, how different our lives would actually be. I wonder if we actually walk in our identity of who we are as Christ followers. I wonder if in the morning when you wake up, the devil goes, oh crap, you woke up again. Come on. Think about that. Think about that. I wonder if the devil sits back and like, oh, it's okay. They woke up again. 
They're not walking into any of this anyways. They won't have any impact on themselves, their family, their friends, their coworkers, their neighborhoods. That's okay. I want the devil and demons to shudder when you open your eyes in the morning and you say, good morning, God, let's go. And I love this, this verse, Galatians. My old identity has been co-crucified. Your old identity of who you are and the mistakes you made, they're dead now with the Messiah and no longer lives. You are a new, you are a new creation. Why? Because Jesus changes everything. Everything you've ever done, Jesus changes. And I love this verse and I'm closing, we're gonna celebrate. My new life is what, what's this one word, friends? My new life is? All right, one more time, because I love this word, and it's getting hot up here. One more time, ready? My new life is? Empowered. Empowered by the faith of the Son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me and dispenses his life into mine. This is one of the reasons why you're going to see as we do baptism, our new baptism shirts for this round says Empowered. Because we want to us to walk into our new identity knowing you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. You are not your old. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you and has empowered you to live this life. Sin may be strong, but Jesus Christ is stronger. Shame may be there, but Jesus Christ says, gone away is your shame. I'm here to give you something better than that.